from the web-spinning studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another pestiferous episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. The pests known as spider mites aren't spiders, but they do spin webs, although they have not been known to battle the Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll reveal the weaknesses of the mites known as spiders. And of course, we'll take lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and numinously lugubrious lamentations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, cats and kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you picking tomatoes instead of slinging webs. Right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in beautiful Bethlehem, PA. I'm beautiful Mike McGrath. Before we get to your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588, we of course have to give away a book. I'm still shoveling out my office and I keep finding more books. And just to show you that we are not prejudiced in favor of absolutely fabulous postcards, yes we are, but we're throwing this one in as a token. It is from Kathleen, I'll never pronounce this last name right, H-E-L-D-R-E-T-H, in Newark, Delaware. I know how to pronounce that. It's not Newark, that's in New Jersey. Um, she writes a vintage postcard for a classic gardening book drawing from a middle-aged biologist to an experienced horticultural guy. Huh. So I guess somebody delivered the postcard to the wrong address, but, you know, I got it. Thanks for a great informative show. Well, thank you, Kathleen. It is a vintage postcard because it's pre-printed with a 20-cent stamp and Kathleen threw a forever stamp on top of that. And because she is a biologist, which I didn't know when I picked this book up, I'm just making it up, she gets where honeybees thrive. So she can be biological with the book, okay? Thank you, Kathleen. Don't send us no more postcards. We're using them as wallpaper back home. All right, and now, on with the show at 833-727-9588. Susan, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello, Mike. Hello, Susan. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I am calling from East Providence, Rhode Island. Oh, excellent. All right. What can we do for you? Well, I, I think you haven't had an evil squirrel question in a while. <laughs> I, have an, <laughs> I have an evil squirrel question. Okay, before, before you do the question, I have to tell you a quick story. So I think this was just yesterday, um, day before maybe. It was a beautiful day, one of those like 60-degree days in winter. And I was sitting in my office, which looks out into the woods. And there was a squirrel running up and down the tree right outside my office window with something big in its mouth, and it dropped it. And I stood up and applauded. So half hour later, I go out 
onto the balcony in the back of our house just to sit and feel the sunshine on the back of my neck, lay down in the recliner, sun on my face. I hear this chattering and I turn around and there's the squirrel hanging off the side of the tree, literally taunting me. And then when he was sure I had turned completely around, turned around, put his butt up in the air and pulled his tail up. They do that sometimes, don't they? They know exactly what they're doing. They're smarter than porpoises and octopi put together. All right, your turn. So my turn is I'm trying to be proactive. Last year in the spring, I had this problem where I walked out into my backyard and the one of many evil squirrels in my backyard First, they ate all the flower buds off my two apple trees, which means that I got no apples Mm -hmm. because they ate all the buds off. And then I found them in the trellis that my rose is growing up, eating all the flower buds off my roses. Oh, man. So, So I'm trying to get them to not do that. Now, I would love to do that motion sensitive a sprinkler system that you like. Right. But I would have to have like 40 <laughs> to do that. And so my water bill would be really high and I wouldn't be able to walk anywhere. So, yeah. Um, the other thing is, is that in the spring, I put um, dormant oil on my apple trees. Sure. I spray that. It's that organic oil. Yeah. Dormant um, oil and- is a petroleum product, but it's approved for use in organic agriculture. And dormant means that the tree has to be dormant, but you spray it on things like apple trees in the winter to kill pests. Right. And I was, uh, last year, I I sprayed that on last year, and I haven't done it this year. This year has been such a weird weather-wise. We've days and then 20 degrees. I have an idea. What's your idea? How about we spray dormant oil on the squirrels? (laughs) That would be good. If you can catch it, you can spray it. Um, but I'm, what I'm wondering is, if did that make it even tastier? <laughs> no. Like, was it a special No, it, sh- it should have been a repellent. But yeah, see, I was hoping. <laughs> they were in the squirrel pool room shooting billiards, and they said, what's up with Susan? Oh, man, she's got this <laughs> apple tree, and she loves the apples. Okay, that's our job number one, boys. So what are, any suggestions then, I guess? Can I get apples this year? Will I get apples this year? And roses on my okay. rose bush? First, uh, the basic questions. Do you feed birds over the winter? I do feed birds not in the area of the apple tree and the no, it doesn't rose. Matter. Okay. It doesn't matter. Um, mm-hmm. The first thing you want to do is take down your seed feeders and okay. re- replace them with suet feeders. Um, okay. Squirrels have been known in bad years to try to get to the suet. But with the seed, they are encouraged to breed and to bury seeds, and it just leads to endless mischief. I've seen some people actually put out their squirrel feeders. I think Uh Dr. Doom created this and sold it to a (laughs) a birding supply company, and it's corn on a stick. Like, they need help or encouragement. Right, or the peanuts thing. I'm like, oh, my God, I would keep that um, yeah. mm-hmm. The Bill Gates Foundation would probably encourage you to dive into research and put sterile squirrels out into the environment <laughs> to try to stop the population. They are the most time for that. <laughs> they are the most difficult pest to stop. Um, yeah. 
for the apple tree, how tall is the tree? Is it a standard? Is it a dwarf? No, it's, um, I, I, to be honest, it's been a while since I planted them. They're two of those columnar trees, so they're actually really tall and thin, but right now they're probably about six feet, maybe seven okay. feet tall, so not All that right. tall. Are they espaliate? No. They grow, um, they grow like you, you trim I know them the as habit. they grow. Yeah. I know yeah. the habit, but I've never heard it applied to apple trees. Yeah, I actually can't remember where I got them. I, I did order them online someplace because okay. I have I live in the city, and so I was looking for okay, something so that they're, wasn't going to take. They're not big. No, they're not like okay. big and wide and all that. No, they're more. Okay, so I want you to go to a good garden supply center, and I want yep. you to look over the animal repellents. Yep. And this will probably be labeled as a deer repellent. And yep. the active ingredient will be putrescent egg solids, rotten oh, eggs. Oh, lovely, yep. Mm -hmm. It has been shown time and time again to be the most effective apple repellent. Um, once the buds appear on your apple tree, I know the buds are technically there now, but you, you know what right. I mean. Yeah. Um, just before they start to swell, I want you to soak this tree. Use okay. it at twice the concentration it says okay. on the label and really soak your two trees and continue with that, I would say weekly, um, mm -hmm. especially if you get rain, and then you can start to slow down, although squirrels are also known to steal the apples at the end of the season. Yes, they do that too. <laughs> but now you say your, your trees it. are small and they're growing in the open? Yes. How difficult would it be um, to get welded wire animal fencing um, put it around them, kind of construct a little cage, and then put more over the top. Uh, it would be pretty tall, and uh, so it would be, I, it would be doable, but not something that I would probably do. Please. You're, you're <laughs> facing the Godzilla of garden pests <laughs> here, girl. <laughs> I know, I know. This ain't Candyland. This is the game of life here. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. they are. They are tough pests. I, I, you know, I would recommend, like, scare creatures, but that's not going to yeah. work. I yeah. think your best bet, honestly, is a, a strong dose of animal repellent yeah. and keep okay. it coming. And if you decide that you want to trap them and relocate them, you got to take them over 10 miles away or they come back. One of right. a, And I, I think in Rhode Island it's illegal to move them. Oh, you know, Oh, dear. <laughs> yes. It is always <laughs> yeah. better to ask forgiveness than permission. There but you go. Okay. We had a listener once who thought it was the same squirrels coming back. And so while they were in the trap, she painted their toenails. <laughs> and that proved that, it, you know, five miles away, they were, they were back within a week. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. They have little cars they drive around in. Like GPS, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> So, okay. uh, you know, luckily that hasn't happened to me. So, so far they appear to be most interested in taunting me personally and showing me their rear ends. But okay. um, yeah, not, nothing a squirrel does surprises me. So I'm saying animal repellent. That's, that's my final okay. answer. Got it. Thank you so much for that. Good luck to you. It's, it's a fight against evil. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. All right, that number to call is 833-727-9588. Liza, help us out. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, 
you. Thanks for thanks for taking my call. Well, thank you for making it, Liza. Where are you? I'm in Windmill, Pennsylvania. Okay, that, that's like a suburb of Philly, right? It's a suburb of Philly. It's right next to Chestnut Hill. Oh, okay. So I um, am growing some indoor herbs because I don't like to pay a lot of money for a little tiny plastic container of herbs at, the, at my local co-op. Right. And I... Um, I my my I was growing mint and rosemary and my mint um, start looked great to begin with and mm-hmm. then after a while it started grow sort of showing these little white like edges like around the edges of each leaf hmm. um, there'd be these little white edges and sort of sometimes in the middle of the leaf and um, so I uh, I read about it online and um, it looked like it was something called a thrip. Like a, I read and and I looked with a magnifying glass to see to see what the um, what they what they were mm-hmm. and when I looked at when I looked at each leaf I saw what looked like a tiny little splinter. Oh, and okay. So yeah. I think what I think what these are are these things called thrips. Yes. So I think you you probably diagnosed your problem uh, very well. Thrips. T H R I P S are very small insects. Um, There's a large class of them called flower thrips, but they can pretty much attack anything. Now, how big is this mint plant and what's it in? I mean, it's like probably, I don't know, a foot and a half tall Mm -hmm. is the tallest um, stalk. And it's in a big, you know, a potted plant that's probably like 12 inches in diameter. Okay, so, but it, it, you know, you're going to take it back out in the summertime. Yes. Oh, okay. And what kind of mint is it? You know, there's lots of, you know, there's spearmint, there's peppermint, there's lemon balm. Oh, God. You know, I I think I'm going to say it's spearmint, but I'm not completely sure of that. Okay. It doesn't make any difference. I'm just being curious. So what I'm going to suggest, easy peasy, as I keep saying, water is the best pesticide. So the next day that you feel like it, and it's decent outside, um, take the pot outside, hook up your garden hose, and spray the plant. Down. Use uh, an adjustable nozzle that you can either screw down to make a sharp stream of water or select you know, one of the various uh, things on it that shoots a sharp stream of water and really blast it. I'm not talking about a gentle shower. Okay. I'm talking about a laser-like beam of water. And okay. You can cradle the plant with one hand if you like, but basically what you're going to do is blast all these little creatures off. And then what I want you to do is put some rubbing alcohol on a wash rag and wipe down around the rim of uh-huh. the pot itself and the outside of the pot, just to make sure there's no eggs or anything there. Okay. Uh, but that should, that should take care of it. And one of the nice things is when you take these plants back outside in the summertime, a lot of times beneficial insects will come and eat your problems. Okay. But, but thrips, uh, you should be able to blast them off very easily. That's also the solution for aphids, for instance, outside on roses. A really sharp stream of water will not only knock them off the plant, but it'll kill most of them at the same time. 
What about what about Neem? Like, so the other thing is, is there anything that besides that? And I'll definitely try that. That's gonna be my first play. I'm gonna do it the next nice warm day. But what about like neem oil? Is there is there something that's not, you know, that's not that's not dangerous for my health if I if I use it on it and then eat the mint, which is what I you know, which is why I'm growing the mint. Two kinds of neem. Neem oil is uh -huh. a disease preventative, a disease cure. Um, a very specialized form of neem that I believe is called azaractin, um, or, or a word like that, named after the active ingredient. That's much harder to find, but that's the pesticide. And yes, it's very safe for you. Uh, neem is actually used as a toothpaste in India and Pakistan and places mm -hmm. like that. Um, but why go out and buy something if all you need is a sharp stream of water? Okay, I'm good with that. I just so I'll definitely try the sharp stream of water. It's perfect. Oh yeah, it's the, it's, it's the best solution, and you don't have to buy anything. Awesome. All right. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will once again appear at the Allentown Public Library to deliver all new info on successful tomato growing and answer all of your garden questions, or at least the easy ones. That'll be on Monday, April 27th at 7 p.m. But don't go jotting the date down in your daytimer just yet because we'll be right back with the secrets of spider mite defense and more of your spidery phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute TV and Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, the question of the week is about spider mites, which can be pestiferous pests. But first, more of your fabulous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Frank, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Mike, I'm just so happy to be talking with you. Oh, I'm happy to be talking with you, Frank. Where are you? Uh, I'm uh, down in the Norfolk, Virginia Beach area. So what can we do you mm -hmm. for? Well, here's my situation. I cannot grow anything under the ground. Above ground, my garden is fantastic. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I, I hear what you're saying. Now, are you a flat earther or do you have raised beds? No, I have a You Bet Your Garden garden. Okay. Uh, I have raised beds. You might like to know, for information purposes, that instead of raising the beds, I lowered the pathways. That's exactly what I did with my first set. Ah. So they're still raised above the surrounding soil line. Now, did you, yeah. fill, them, mm -hmm. did you fill them only with the soil you removed from the pathways? That's exactly right. And, of course, over those many, many years, those pathways were covered with pine straw. 
Oh, excellent. Yeah, that's the, okay. that is the mulcha choice down south, and it's such an intelligent choice. Okay, so basically I have a, a pine straw base um, raised garden. Okay, that's absolutely fabulous. Now, the soil, uh, I realize, how, how close are you to the water, man? Oh, um, I would say probably a mile. Okay, so is your soil sandy? Uh, no, well, once again, it was the path. Right. And no, it's, I would call it loamy. I'm oh, on the okay. side. All right. And you've tried to grow carrots, garlic, oh. beets, that kind of stuff. Disaster. Okay. But Each you're good at above. Are... I'm sorry? My, my, I apologize. The, the leeks are tall and spindly. Mm -hmm. The potatoes literally disappear. Mm -hmm. Beautiful foliage, and then then the spud itself disappears. Okay, um, now uh, NCIS. When when you try to dig up your potatoes, are there moldy, rotten potatoes down there, or nothing? Nothing. Hmm. Zero. Okay, so you never knew that they were there to begin with. Well, of course, you know, I put them, I put them in. No, you put a seed potato in. That typically yeah, disappears the... during the growing process. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. So there might not have been growth. Underground might not be. I see. Now, when you, okay. when you get your seed potatoes, do you coin them or do you put the whole potato in the ground? Whole potato, just okay. as you suggested. Yeah. Okay, so uh, how many raised beds do you have? Well, I have four, and I would say they're about 40 feet long mm -hmm. and maybe six feet wide. Okay, that's, that's uh, you know, you have to step into those, so that's not good. You know, the rule here is no wider than four feet, so you never step on the soil and compress mm -hmm. it. So this makes perfect sense now. Your soil has become compressed. So uh, how long have these beds existed? Well, two years. Okay. And how's your physical strength? Excellent. Okay. Um, I want you to take a look at, we haven't talked about this on the show in over a decade, but there's a technique called double digging that was pioneered by John Jevons, one of the true great pioneers of the raised bed movement. And so to put it as simply as possible, you get a wheelbarrow and you, you know, identify a lane in your raised bed, you know, about a foot wide, and you put the material from there into the wheelbarrow. Now the next lane you turn over into the empty lane, next lane you turn over into that empty lane until you get to the end, and then you put the wheelbarrow load back wherever it seems to make sense. Along the way, I want you to go to a garden center and get the big bags of perlite, you know, the mm -hmm. little white of volcanic minerals, and mix those in judiciously. Now, if the rest of your beds are doing great for above ground crops, let's just do this for one bed or even a half a bed and use that to grow potatoes in because potatoes are one of the most rewarding things that you can grow and it's a sin that you're not getting the correct harvest. You also have another option 
which only works for potatoes, not for the other crops. But you can set up what's called the Lehigh style of compost bin, fill the bottom third with soil, put a seed potato at each quadrant, uh, fill it up to two thirds, put another seed potato at each quadrant, right up against one of the openings, not against the, the wooden slat. And then, you know, you're not stepping on that soil. It's naturally loose because you filled it. Again, I would mix some perlite in there with there. Um, but that should work out well for you. And I would urge you even to put this um, material, this structure, on one of your raised beds. So you might even get some, you know, rough up the soil in the raised bed with a garden fork underneath the box and, um, and go to town. We talked about, this was a question of the week on the show not that long ago, I think within the last month. So if you go to youbetyourgarden.org and you just scroll through the past month or two of shows, you'll see the one that has uh, the details for that. Or you go to the Gardens Alive website, type potato bin into the search engine, and it'll take you right to the article. But for, the, or, but for things like garlic and carrots, carrots are notoriously difficult to grow um, unless the soil is super loose, because you can imagine how hard it is to keep pushing that root down. So there, a lot of people would grow in half sand, half soil. Um, and, and no offense, you and I know you got access to all the sand in the world, baby. When when I used to rent a house in Sandbridge in the summer, we'd bring down five gallon uh, spring water bottles and we'd fill them up with sand and take them home. I had a soil test done, mm -hmm. and it came back high levels of iron and a low level of manganese. I believe, now, now you're really tapping the old shenanigan here, I believe manganese is, is pretty important. So, and off the top of my head, I'm not, what, do you feed your plants with anything? Uh, just your two inches of uh, compost, which I make. So go to like the hippest garden center in the Tidewater area and take a look at the organic fertilizers and pick one that has a nice high level of manganese and add that to your soil this year. One of the nice things about these mineral amendments is you really don't need a lot and it will persist in the soil afterwards for a solid three years. So it's nothing you would have to do. My, my instincts are it's soil compaction though. And, um, Maybe grow your potatoes in a bin, but if you're going to put garlic in this fall, which is one of my favorite crops of all time, really amend that soil first. You don't, if you're getting good results from the other beds, you don't have to do it there, but I would, I would encourage you to experiment with having a roots and shoots uh, bed and see how that works out. For the underground crop, is there one particular part of the... Um, uh, the PKN that's more important than any of the others? NPK. Um, NPK, no, okay. No, not really. I mean, with, with garlic, it would theoretically be nitrogen because it's not a fruiting crop. Um, but people add too much nitrogen to their gardens. With potatoes, it would be a balanced fertilizer because believe okay. it or not, they are a flowering crop. Did you see flowers on your potato plants? 
I sure did. Just didn't see potatoes. Yeah, well, you know, at least you got the flowers. Come on. You'd <laughs> complain if we hung you with a new rope. Come on. <laughs> All right. We got to go. Good luck, man. Good. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Bye-bye. 833-727-9588. Amy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Amy. How are you? I am doing just great. And where is Amy doing just great? Indianapolis. All right. Wonderful to hear from you. What can we do you for? I have a huge sweet gum tree. Uh-oh. Probably 100 years old, uh-huh. 70 feet tall, beautiful tree. I love it. But those sticky, round seed pods, uh-huh. I want to do something with them. I'm when, when, spend, go ahead. When I was growing up in a row home in Philadelphia, for some reason lost to memory, we called them itchy balls. And we would collect them in pillowcases and then go up to the lots, which was an underdeveloped area uh, that we were not allowed to go to. There were only three places we weren't allowed to play. We couldn't go down to the Delaware River. We couldn't go up to the railroad tracks. And we could not go to the lots. So you know where we were every day. Right. We were either at the river, the railroad tracks, or playing war in the lots, which was great because you'd save up this whole bag and you'd fling them at each other all day long. Well, we moved into the house where my mom lived for 30 years, and she would send them to the dump in uh-huh. plastic bags. Right. And I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm running out of room in the brush between the houses. Right. So we tried burning them, and they didn't catch fire <laughs> in the, in the, you know, in the um, fire pit. Right. Um, I read somewhere that if you put them in a tomato bed, that the squirrels don't like walking on them. Ooh. Now, that would be interesting. Um Anything that could cause discomfort for evil squirrels appeals to me. Um, Yeah, they take one bite out of each tomato. Yeah, they don't like tomatoes. They just (laughs) want to annoy us. Uh, So I'm going to try that this year. I don't know if it'll work, but that's not even going to take 1% of those (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, they are spiky, so they would make a great protection against slugs. As well, you know, if you have, if you're growing potatoes or lettuces or, or even hostas, you could surround those with the sweet gum balls, um, and that would be protective. Uh, again, you could fling them at your neighbors, perhaps make a little cat. Oh, oh, do you know? Can you see the squirrel nests in the trees? Yeah, but they're up 70 or 80 feet. <laughs> so you make a little catapult. Maybe you can buy one. You can buy anything on the web now and fill the tray with sweet gum balls and fling it at the squirrel's nest and make a video and you'll be famous on YouTube. Well, I saw a few of them on sale for eBay for quite a bit of money to use in like dry floral arrangements, but I really <laughs> don't have time to be selling them on eBay. The other thing I thought, if I pile them deep enough, I have winter creeper that mm-hmm. I'm trying to get rid of. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if I put them a foot tall, a foot deep over the winter creeper, could it, would it maybe eventually kill it? I don't think so. I don't think it would be smothering. I mean, you'd, you'd do no. better with... Um, you know, if you really want to, wh- where is the winter creeper? What's it, what's it in? Oh, a bunch of small dogwoods and brush, little shrubs and things. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that would, that would work. I no. mean, you okay. know, basically just hoe it out, hit it with a flame weeder during, during warm, dry days. You know, those, the, those sweet gum seed pods are, 
Um, a tremendously annoying. Um, I love your idea of underneath the tomatoes, but as you say, you've got more of those um, than you want. The only thing I can suggest, because people will take anything, is to fill up a giant trash can with them and put them out by the side of the road with a little sign on it that says free, but don't take, but don't take the trash can. That's an idea. Will they ever compost? What if I put them in a pile? Would they eventually? Hey, we're going to eventually compost. I mean, you know, everything, everything rots, as those of us of an advanced age know all too well. So, yeah, I mean, they would qualify as green material when they first fall. But as you know, they quickly become dry brown material. So if you wanted to do an experiment, yeah, you could just dump them all in, into a wire bin or some other kind of enclosure and then mix in all the coffee grounds you can scrounge from the local coffee shop. Now, it will take a couple of years, um, but it, it should work. Now, if you had a chipper shredder, you might be able to break them down into a smaller particle size and then you could probably use them as mulch or they would compost very quickly. Um, but other, you know, you could bang them with a sledgehammer, you know, that'd be yeah. like a, a Zumba kind of uh, thing kind of going on there. Right, you know. they grind into the grass and they kill the grass unless you rake them off. Yeah, well, and uh, again, this is a great use for an outdoor vacuum, um, you know, because uh, not, not something you would use to suck up leaves, but they make larger models specifically for this kind of thing. You know, it's not just your sweet gum seed pods, for instance, um, when uh, acorns, when oak trees have a big crop of acorns and they fall to the ground, you really want to clean those up right away because they're going to feed an explosion of field mice and field mice are the prime vectors for the ticks that carry Lyme disease. So it, it, they make these outdoor vacuums for all of, of these, you know, very big, hard seeds. That's a good idea. We have an oak also, so I would take care of both of them. Yeah, you got to be careful. You don't want to leave uh, the acorns on the ground. First of all, they'll attract deer, and then deer will eat everything you have. And, but it is the field mice that are the real danger, and people don't think about that. But there's always uh, an uptick in Lyme disease the year after there's a big acorn drop. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Okay, well, we'll take care of the acorns and the sticky balls at the same time. Exactly. And if any listeners or viewers out there know what to do with sweet gum pods, call or write us, and we'll pass the information on. Okie doke, I'll let you know if it works on the squirrels. All right, yes, please. If it does, I want video of squirrels grabbing their feet in pain. You know. <laughs> will do. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the Reston Town Center in Reston, Virginia, on Sunday, May 3rd. And then I'll hop back to Virginia to appear the following weekend at the Garden Fair at the State Arboretum of Virginia, which is just outside of Winchester, on May 9th and 10th. But don't go looking for all the details at the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back to defeat your spider mites and take more of your fabulous phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. 
Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week, an exhaustive or exhausting look at the pest known as the spider mite. In the meantime, more of your pestiferous phone calls at 833-727-9588. Brady, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. How are you? I am just ducky. Thank you for asking, sir. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm here in Minerva Park, Ohio, which is a tiny little village in Columbus. Minerva Park. I'm going back to the old Wonder Woman comics of the 60s where she would always yell, Merciful Minerva. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Boom. All right. What can we do for Brady in Minerva Park, Ohio? Uh, so my family and I moved into our dream house this November. Congratulations. Uh, with uh, thank you. Uh, complete with a, a greenhouse and a huge uh, 20-foot by 12-foot-ish raised bed. Which is, you didn't um, even look at the inside of the house, did you? <laughs> didn't, didn't really need to. Nope, that was all I needed. <laughs> all right, uh, so what's what's the question? So <clears throat> the, the issue is, um, you know, I'm used to square-foot gardening in, in raised beds. 12-foot by 20 feet is um, wholly too large. I mm -hmm. also don't know what was in the soil beforehand, and I know that they're framed with old-looking pressure-treated wood. Uh -huh. So my thought is uh, just to go ahead and build raised beds on top of the old bed. I like that. Yeah. Um, so I, I have my thoughts, uh, eight-foot by three-foot raised beds. Perfect. First little mini question, should those be arranged north to south or east to west? Um, well, you know, you want the morning sun on your bed. So east to west makes a lot of sense, um, but otherwise it would be south to north if you could fix that. Okay. You want the early sun. Um, later in the day, of course, full sun is great where you are, but it's the early sun that helps with plants that are disease prone, like tomatoes and roses and some squashes. Okay, so my thought is if I actually orient the beds lengthwise, you know, north, south, south, north, then they will all get morning sun as yes. opposed to only the plants on the one side. Right, and, uh, you know, okay. I, have to, I have to admit I've never oriented my beds. I just made them start school without knowing where any of the buildings were. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, so I'm planning on, you know, spending my money on, on, uh, on the plants and on what we'll call Mike's mix. Right. Uh, as opposed to Mel's mix. Uh -huh. And so in, in an attempt to save money on framing the beds themselves, right. um, and because I think I'll probably get bored with, uh, in, in about five years, I'm thinking about using just framing lumber as opposed to, I know you're a fan of, of treks and, of course, cedar and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, now, the previous owners, along with the uh, greenhouse and the, the wonderful raised beds, left me three and a half gallons of tongue oil in the basement. 
and I'm wondering if I can use tongue oil to protect the wood on my raised bed. T-U-N-G. Correct. Huh. And, boy, I know about linseed oil. Do you think they were using the tongue oil on their pressure-treated wood? I, I haven't any idea. There was a half a gallon opened in the garage and mm -hmm. three full gallons in the basement. Mm -hmm. And so this is 100% um, tongue oil, and I've done just a very, very small amount of research online. Um, of course, it is you know mixed with some mineral spirits and things like that mm -hmm. so that it actually uh, adheres. Right. But what I'm reading says that tongue oil is, is a, a natural wood protectorant. Okay. Um, you know, this, this comes up all the time, and my good friend Elliot Coleman, um, author of The Four Season Harvest, who actually grows for market 12 months out of the year on the rocky coast of Maine, he and his wife Barbara Damarash are dangerous, they just are so inventive, he came up with uh, a recipe that involved linseed oil uh, for... Um, you know, staining uh, regular wood for bed framing. I would just do a little more research, and obviously you want to do all the work outside, and if you can, take a fan out there to blow it away from you so you're not inhaling the mineral spirits, but they'll, they'll naturally uh, stop off-gassing pretty quickly. Um, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. It's, it's, not, um, it's not arsenic. <laughs> Right. Yeah, go ahead. Um, one of the other things I've been, I've been using personally is pavers. And mm -hmm. uh, Home Depot, believe it or not, has these great corner posts made of concrete with a hole down the center for a piece of rebar to hold it in place. And then it has slots on the side that accept standard sizes of lumber. So I used Trex in those slots, but I really like the corner posts and the way they're arranged. It's, it's almost like your own Lincoln log set. So mm -hmm. the corner posts are where people go bad, you know, because they don't pay enough attention to making sure that the corners are true and they're going to stay nice and sturdy. So I don't know if it's available all around the country, but go check your local home desk spot and see if they've got these concrete corner posts, because they're, um, we reframed half of my beds last year, and they, they just look and work great. I will give that a try for sure. I appreciate that. All right, and uh, good luck to you, and again, congratulations on your house and, and your greenhouse. Uh, that is the most addictive aspect of gardening. Once you have a greenhouse, um, <laughs> nobody's ever going to see you again. Well, my wife and I managed to keep a dwarf lime alive uh, without a greenhouse here in Columbus, Ohio, for about four years. And mm -hmm. so I, I expect I'll be getting back in touch with you for lots and lots of help with the greenhouse going okay. forward. Okay. Well, good luck to you for, for now. All right. Thanks. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right. It's what you've been waiting for, we hope. It's time for the question of the week, which we're calling Spider-Man Good. Spider mites, bad. Tony, in Washington Township, 
Gloucester County, New Jersey, which would be exit 53A, writes, so every year I have the same problem with my tomato plants. The plants grow tall and produce lots of fruit until sometime in August when spider mites attack. That'd be a good name for a movie. I try to control the mites by spraying the plants daily with a high pressure soaking from my hose. This helps, but I'm looking for something more effective. If the plants survive August, they rebound and start to flower again, but I lose three or four weeks of production. Yes, my garden is flat earth, but on an incline, it drops about four feet in its 25-foot length. Does that make it better or worse, Tony? It's south-facing and mulched with compost. I only grow hybrids with maximum disease resistance. I was thinking of trying surround this year. Do you think this will help? P.S. I have two beagles that routinely graze in the garden. Cucumbers, string beans, and bell peppers are among their favorites. So I have to be very careful about what I spray in the garden. Tony, even those of us who are beagle-free need to be careful about what we spray in our gardens, as even some natural remedies can be toxic to bees if those remedies hit the bees directly. And chemical pesticides, gag, choke, gag, are not only dangerous to children and other living things, I just made that phrase up, really, but they're ineffective against these pests, as studies have shown that spider mites rapidly develop resistance to chemical controls, to which I, as a reasonable and responsible, mature and grown-up advocate of the organic gardening method, can only say to Dow, Bear, and Monsanto, nah, 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 nah. All right, spider mites are not spiders of any kind, but they are true mites, which, like ticks and Peter Parker, are arachnids and not insects. They got the prefix spider because the female mites spin a kind of distinctive webbing to protect their eggs and or developing young. Now, spider mites are sap suckers that puncture the leaves of plants and can cause substantial damages especially in greenhouses and to growers of marahuni. In fact, they might be the most problematic pest for cannabis growers. But they are also known pests of tomatoes, as well as peppers, corn, cannabis, strawberries, and cannabis. And cannabis. Anyway, my garden is in the same basic growing region as Tony's Exit 53A, and I have yet to ever see a spider mite. So I'm gonna first suggest two non-specific remedies. Tony acknowledges that he is a flat earth gardener. Flat earth gardening leads to serious soil compaction because your big feet are always stepping on the soil around your plants. And soil compaction is the second biggest human cause of plant death and or pest problems. It's second only to overwatering. So my suggestion number one is to build at least a few raised beds and try and make them as far away as possible from the areas of your annual August infestation and see if that takes care of things. And if it does, build more raised beds. The second non-direct approach involves fertilization. Now, Tony says he mulches with compost, which is excellent. 
unless he also uses highly explosive chemical fertilizers like miracle Grow and Osmocote, which have been shown to attract pests and promote disease. So if you are using chemical fertilizers, stop. Okay. Now, spider mites are creatures that require dry conditions, which makes water a really good idea. But these sharp streams of water are the cure for insects like aphids, actually, especially aphids. Basic high humidity is the cure for spider mites. So rather than achieving this fire hose effect, go for a morning watering of the leaves. Every morning that day is expected to be hot and dry. No, this is not the ideal way to water drama queens like tomatoes. But we're using water as a deterrent here, and we pretty much have to wet the leaves to deter these mites. Just be sure to only wet the plants in the early morning. And heck, Tony already says that he's only growing disease-resistant hybrids, which is not the best plan. Try to mix some open-pollinated varieties in there. So a little wetness shouldn't be a problem. Now, specific, there are also predatory mites that exist only to eat your bad mites. I suspect these beneficial creatures are much more effective in a greenhouse situation. But if you wish to go mano a mano, or more correctly, arachnid arachnid, maybe buy a bunch and release them when the first faux spider webs you see. If you choose this path, do nothing else or you will kill your good mites. Now the surround that Tony mentions is the trade name for a micronized clay spray that prevents insects, yes, and arachnids, from reaching actual plant tissue. And so it is an excellent suggestion. There are also the old standbys of insecticidal soap and light horticultural oil. Now, both of these controls, soap or oil, need to actually coat the pest insect, or again, in this case, arachnid, to be effective. I urge you to purchase professionally made insecticidal soap, as homemade versions can quickly become herbicidal soaps, which would be bad. And I used to urge people to also buy professionally made light horticultural oils, but then I started using PAM on my mud dauber, wasp, and yellow jacket nests to excellent effect. So good luck, Tony, and PAM away. Well, that sure was a somewhat exhaustive look at spider mites now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, you can read this information over at your leisure or your leisure because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you'll always find the latest question of the week where? At the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to spin webs around my tomatoes if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched. Refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please always include your location.
You'll find all of our contact information, plus answers to hundreds of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of all shows, informative details about my upcoming events, and links to our internationally renowned podcast. It's all at our website. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Harvey Kurtzman, Wally Wood, and the usual gang of idiots. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airwaves is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Northleaf. Check out her fine work and ponder lots of beautiful pictures at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Floyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is running the camera this week. He also tried to destroy the studio single-handedly. Zach the Takwisneski, where are you? Our beloved and beleaguered CEO Tim Fallon is not our executive producer, is late for a meeting and can't find his time. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and if the folks on the second floor still keep missing this show, I'll see you again next week. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Have you heard about the so-called study questioning the environmental safety of compost? I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, we will possibly review this article, but we'll always explain why compost is still the bee's knees. Plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden.